Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live. No way. We're and we live. have a special guest we're very excited about. We're excited. We're live at Gross Anatomy. We're live at Gross Anatomy. Where we discuss the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Love how it. it relates to pop culture, TV, movies, and the world around us. All right. Perfect. And the world around us is getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> weirder and weirder. I know. Dare we say it? Well, we didn't even introduce you. You're already talking. You're not allowed to talk until we introduce you. <laughs> Sorry. No. Um, who are you? I am Dr. Sherry Yafai. So we're super excited. We have Dr. Sherry Yafai with us, and I'm Lauren Taylor. I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. Yeah, and welcome to Gross Anatomy. So uh, this, as one of our New Year's resolutions, we've been doing this now more than a year. So pre our New Year's episode... One of our resolutions was to have more guests on the show because we had only had a few, um, so we've really we've been doing good. We've been having mm-hmm. a bunch of guests, and we're having some really kick butt guests. And you're like, wow! Yeah, the fact that we landed you is a big deal. We're very excited, mm-hmm. Dr. Sherry Afai. My schedule is very tight these days, and actually, with the whole the coronavirus. Whole coronavirus situation, yeah. I feel like everyone's going to be moving towards podcasts because right. we're going to be doing less big, you know, big scene things. Well, I actually think, totally aside, we're not even getting into the podcast, but you know how they're closing down colleges and schools? Yes. I wonder if it's going to change the way we do education in general. Yeah. High school, grade school, co- because the whole education system is totally messed up anyway. Yes, although I this is coming from such the panic perspective that right. I don't think this is going to be the right way to figure it out right. either. But yeah, it's it would be interesting in terms of college because we know the college students already do a handful of things online. Right. They already do a handful of things. Which is there. bizarre because when I was a kid there was no such thing as online learning. And not just that, right. but I found out that we used to have, you know, used to pay at UCLA note to service. get note service. Note that you service. knew what I was doing by yes. my manners. Yes. And we it's used, too bad we don't have video. So note service back mm-hmm. in the day at UCLA, this is circa 19... You had note service 90s. in college or in med school? In college. Wow. Yeah. and But nowadays, apparently, you don't have to pay for it. It comes automatically and it's all automatically... Transcribed. Um, transcribed. Wow. And videoed and all that. So, do you think, it's a, kid, you think it's a kid who turned it into a business or do you think it's the college who, that does it? I think the college now does it. Wow. Because it's all included. Because kids would make money doing yeah, it. Yeah, that would be cool right. if that they was the story. Well, yeah. they still pay for it. Yeah. They, I mean, they still pay the people who are setting all those things up, from my understanding, but, you know. Interesting. They're not. So, I'm so glad we got you here to talk about that stuff, Dr. <laughs> Sherry Afai. Yes, it has been a long time since I've been in college, but. Um, what, just a few years, right? People still think I've got great plastic surgery done. There you go, exactly. So, you are. So, you went to UCLA for college? So, I went to UCLA for college where I studied neuroscience. So, you were a pre med kid? I was a pre med kid, but this was in the beginning of neuroscience. It was like we were like the second graduate. They had class. just discovered the brain. They had just <laughs> discovered the brain in the right. late 90s. Exactly. And we were we were a tiny group from UCLA. You know, we were I think the graduating class was like under a hundred, maybe around fifty. Right. At UCLA you don't see majors that yeah. are that small. And then since then it's obviously exploded. Yeah. There's like the huge I think it's the whole Gonda Center now is all neuro based. And then I went to San Diego, UC San Diego, for medical school. Did you have a minor in college? No, I no. traveled instead of in college. Study. You took time abroad. Yeah, I went and I went and taught uh, English in Thailand. 
I was about college. to say time. Dr. Cohen is very pro. He's always like, telling me. During college? Yeah, during college. You I took did, how much time off? I took a quarter off, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and figured it was better to go get real life experience than to fake it. What year? Uh, third year, junior year. Good. Yeah. So only a quarter? Only a quarter. How come? Because, you, you know, UCLA's on the quarter system. Oh, it is. Okay. It's very fast paced. And you got credit for it? No. I did it all. It was like a gap quarter. It was a gap Not quarter. Not a gap year, but you took a gap quarter. Yeah, gap quarter. I worked for Assemblywoman Sheila Kuehl. I don't know who that is. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. you know. Oh, you mean that you took time off and did that? I did, yeah, I took time off and did that. So I don't know if you know this. I run the pre-med program at Cedars, which, by the way, we just got shut down because of corona. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Everything. Yeah. So usually the reason why we do our podcast on Wednesdays, the reason why we tape Wednesdays at 6.15 is because every Wednesday from 4 to 6, we meet with the pre-med students and go over stuff and do stuff. So every Wednesday. So the reason why, if you notice, we're meeting a little early right now is because I just found out a couple hours ago that we were shut down. The reason why it's even extra pertinent mm-hmm. is because she's on the front lines as an emergency room doctor. Right, right. So that's that's why that's it's right. even more pertinent. Yeah, you're an ER doc. Right. So I am an or an ER... ED doc. Yeah, we all not erectile right. dysfunction. Right, right. <laughs> go mm-hmm. by all the same names. There, right. Um, yes. Yeah, so in the emergency departments, yeah. front lines. This is where people are showing up to get tested. They're super selective about who they will allow to get tested. Right. So if you are and how? What is the test? I don't even know. I'm COVID nineteen. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean it's it, a nasal swab. It's a nasal swab. Okay. So you're. It's not blood. It's not sputum. It's not spit. I will check for you. It's a nasal swab. I will check for you, but okay. I believe so. And how do you test the regular flu? I'm totally Same. ignorant. It's a nasal swab. Yeah, it's a nasal swab. Okay. So I'm totally going to double check while I say all this. Yeah. So technically speaking, the first thing you have to do is check for flu, RSV. So flu A, flu B, RSV, which all comes in one swab. You have to rule that out you before you would even out. check it. So if you are ruled out for that, then you won't even qualify. I mean, if you rule in for that. So if right. you test positive for flu A, flu B, or RSV, right. they won't even check for corona. Right. Because Could someone get... And I don't know if this is a Sherry Yafai question. Could someone get both corona and flu? So theoretically, yes. But uh-huh. what we've seen so far is no. Right. So it's a it's a very, very, very small window. So that's right. why it's not being done. And then the send out is either through Quest or the LA County. But you have to call and request testing. And it takes three to four days turnaround. To get wow. it so you, You're not even getting it anywhere close to real time. Which is why they're saying, you know... Do you meet all these requirements in order to even get tested? Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people feel like we're under testing. Oh, we yeah, are, yeah. We are under totally. testing. So, like, part of me wonders that, uh, did, I think we talked about it on our last podcast, that th- this year a lot of people came down with flu even though they got flu shots. Right. And we just assumed it was flu. Well, you know, coronavirus, just like influenza virus, right. there's a lot of it out there and a lot of different strengths. We have flu A and flu B and etc. Right. But we, we have a test cetera. for A and B. Right. Coronavirus, we also have other versions. Right. And it's 19 only that is this new, right. kind of more prevalent, more aggressive virus. Mm-hmm. So we've never tested for coronavirus in the past. Right. Because it's never been really lethal or the morbidity associated with it isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Do right. we know about, do, do we know yet about um, those who get a mild version or who get it? 
who recover, are they immune? Do we, we know that? Do. So, um, data from, so I'm just going to go back one second and say the, the specimens are a nasopharyngeal swab, which we said, an oropharyngeal swab, which is also in the mouth. Yeah. And then you can do a bronchial lavage, which is, or tracheal aspirate or sputum. Right. So all of those are respiratory that gotcha. you have to be more aggressive with. So the Princess Cruises, do you remember? Yes. yes. We do have data from the Princess Cruises now, and it was, I'm going to give you the exact data, which is about 3,700 people who were aboard that cruise ship, and out of that 3,700 people, roughly 700 of them were, because uh, every 100% Everyone of people was were tested. tested. So this right. is like the perfect right. research environment, yeah, right? You good. have... Mm -hmm. um, Everybody on board is at risk because it's a very small. Right. right. You have a very small group of people. I'm looking up this, the data right now because we got it emailed to us. Um, 3,700 people aboard the ship. 700 people. Everyone gets tested. Gotcha. 700 people are flu or are coronavirus positive. Gotcha. Out of those, the majority of which are asymptomatic. Right. Out of those 700 people, I believe it was like 7 to 10 die. Mm. And this is with delayed respiratory care. People didn't get to treatment centers, etc. cetera, quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're looking at roughly it's 0.8% mortality mm -hmm. rate. Yeah. So it's, it's still small. What do you do right. when you're in the emergency room and you see someone coughing? Or oh, sneezing. Yeah. I mean, what do you I, as a doctor do? I, I, do you stay far away? I do a Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I glove up, gown up, and go do what you need to do. And, and mask and, up. And mask up, right? Yeah. Glove up, gown up, mask up. And, you know, you just you cross your fingers at this point because yeah. we know that our healthcare workers are at the highest yeah. risk of anybody. The other day I was in line at Starbucks here at the hospital, and there was a family and the dad was just sneezing and coughing and I, and I wanted to I wanted to say go outside man right. but it, it was just such a weird thing mm -hmm. that's right and it's it's hard to tell people you yeah. look unwell you need to step out yeah because i think as a society we think that that's not polite right and right. it's not right. but i think we also need to start recognizing when that's appropriate what i think is it's just a common courtesy that if you, the person, are ill, right. you need to exercise certain, you know, things. Stay away from right. people. Which, or which, if you're going to be around, put then you put on a mask. You put a mask on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree with this idea of put on a mask if you don't feel good. Stay right. home if you don't feel good. Right. Please. I think that's more important than all the other stuff. But it gets hard when you're at a hospital and you don't feel good, and that's the reason why you're there. Right. So there it becomes right. really hard. But this was just a guy with his family buying coffee. Right. Yeah. So so it ends up being a little difficult. Yeah. But that being said, so I'm going to totally segue here. Segue. Cannabis does not cure coronavirus. <laughs> nice segue. Is that, is that a good segue? Well, let's, well, let's back cannabis up. Cannabis is not yes. going to cure coronavirus. So we're breaking into cannabis. Way. So my question is, is yeah. how do you, an emergency room doctor, married to an attorney, no yes. less, I know that you're married <laughs> yes. to an attorney because we've talked about it, how does... An emergency room doctor married to an attorney all of a sudden segue to saying, hey, I'm going to become a cannabis doctor. Picture this. It's yeah. late 2016, November, and we are voting on medical marijuana policy here in California. Since 1996, medical marijuana has been legal. In 1996. Right. 1996. So we're... Recreationally. No, no, medically. Oh, medical marijuana. So for 24 right. years, medically, right. and I put this in air right. quotes because right. 
all of all of us in the medical world thought it was complete bullshit. Right. Or, or, or did we? Right? Yeah. Is that, is that she question? said bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And so now. T- so this is no longer a PG podcast. So We're now an R podcast. Dun, dun, dun. No, yeah. So now, um, in 2016, November, here in California, we're voting on recreational medical, uh, recreational marijuana right. laws. Right. Right. And that night, it passes. Okay. And I get home and, and we and I look to my husband and I say, Hey, should we open up a pop shop? This this stuff's legal now. Mm-hmm. Like, should we be changing professions? And he looked at me and goes, Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. You have a medical degree. <laughs> like you can't open a pot shop. I right. said, Well, you know, if people need to use it, maybe we can like give them advice and, and give them the medication they need at the same time. What is right. this like what yeah. is this stuff even? Yeah. And that was my attitude. I was like, What is this stuff even? I had no idea right. what marijuana, cannabis, none of it. I had no idea what any of this was about. What do you mean? I, I, you mean medical marijuana? No, I didn't know what pot was, okay? I literally... What do you mean? You were I, an adult in I California. Had ne- I had never you smoked were pot in my life. Really? Literally. Okay. And you I... You didn't go to college? I went to college. I was I'm a kidding, very, I was yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. very, you know, uh-huh. face in the books, glasses on. Yeah. So... It, it was one of these things where I just, I was, you know, completely fascinated because I knew nothing about it. What I did know was my, two of my close family members were going through chemo and cancer treatments. Huh. And both of their oncologists. In 2016. In 2016. Yeah, both of them were like, you can smoke pot, it's fine, it'll sure. help with your symptoms. Why They not? recommended it or it came up? Or you it don't came up. Right. It came up. They, they looked at me and they're like, you're a doctor, you, you tell us what we should be smoking. I was like, right. I, I have no idea. Right, because it's medical marijuana, but doctors don't know how to talk about right. it. Right. And so it was a big, I call it a big scam because we called it medical, but we didn't teach it, we didn't train people mm-hmm. on it, we didn't acknowledge it in medicine. Well, do you, the, the whole premise was someone would show up to like some little room There'd be a guy there who's getting paid, you know, per person, and it was a mill. And they right. you just have to say, it. "I have yeah. headaches," and they're like, "Okay." Right. And they'd sign you a card, and you'd get your card. That's exactly right. But it actually came out of in 1996. The reason it came up, and the reason we passed it here in California, do you know? It's pop quiz. Mm-mm. Pop quiz. The reason it <laughs> passed. <laughs> why did we have the Compassionate Use Act of 1996? Oh, I tell don't us know. why, Doctor Five. Who are we being compassionate towards? That's a great question. I don't know. The AIDS group of San Francisco. Uh, so in the late eight in the eighties, right, right, we had a huge boom in the AIDS, you know, right, that just was like what AIDS came, mm-hmm. yeah. that's what AIDS came in. And San Francisco was the Mecca mm-hmm. right, of the AIDS population. They right. were all there. And so they were using just like they had what was it, the A C T parties, mm-hmm. um, they had pop canvas um, buying companies, or uh-huh. buying canvas buying clubs, right? And so they were, you know, feeling miserable on death's door and yeah. they were using, and then they were being penalized for it. Mm. And uh. so they created the Compassionate Care, the Compassionate Act because of AIDS patients in San Francisco. Interesting. And it passed in 96 so that these patients could have access to medication mm-hmm. and cancer patients could have access to medication to use for anorexia or being hungry because mm-hmm. they were hungry back then, or they were, they were starving because right. of their disease. Right to increase their appetite right. and help with pain management at end-of-life care. So it was compassion towards this group of people. So now, you know, and then you take it 20 years later and AIDS patients are no longer dying. We're, we're treating them. They're living, you know, with the disease. They're mm-hmm. living with unmeasurable or undetectable viral counts. 
and they're doing very well. And lo and behold, now you see the mill that we're talking about. Right. You know. So I probably a ton of other doctors, myself included, thought, hey, let's do something in medical marijuana. How did you have the, for lack of a better word, balls to, <laughs> to, to do it, though? Because it's scary on many levels. It's scary, A, it's a business, B, it's a new kind of thing. C, there's the whole, are, is your medical license going to be put into jeopardy right. a little bit? So how, how did you, from the idea, actually say, make that leap? Like, what? So that was going back to yeah. the, the recreational act. So yeah. I figured, this was, this was literally my thought, if this stuff will be available like Tylenol over the counter, and yet no one's talking about it, aren't we doing our patients a disservice? Yeah. Why are we not stepping? Because isn't that really what right. medicine is about? But at the end of the Stepping day, up? it's still illegal on a federal level. It is. So did that scare you? No, because I looked up some of the rules of And you're married to a lawyer. <laughs> and, I, and I did a little bit of deep diving. Right. And you started looking at the laws and who's done it and what, they, right. what they're getting in trouble for, what they're not getting right. in trouble for. Right. And you really have to do a deep dive. And you see that the Supreme Court actually did a ruling about how you can discuss it. Right. And you cannot you get penalized. You can recommend it. For talking about it. Right. And then, and then guess what? Around the same time, our you know, opioid crisis became, came to a head. And right. they were now requiring of us to write Narcan prescriptions for heroin overdose. Right, right. Guess what heroin and cannabis have in common? What? They are the same level of illegal. Right, yeah. So on the federal level, both are exactly equal mm -hmm. illegally, right? Yeah. You, you gotta you gotta go where you gotta go. Cocaine right. is yeah, illegal yeah, yeah. on the same level we talk about yeah. coke. There's a yeah. huge coke problem. We talk about meth. Meth is illegal as well. Yeah. Guess what? We talk and bill insurance wise. We bill for cocaine, uh, you know, counseling. We bill for oh, alcohol counseling. counseling. Gotcha. We bill for nicotine counseling. So we do talk about this. Mm -hmm. I think we just have garnered this kind of self self um, created almost like bringing back to coronavirus. We mm -hmm. created this this really aggressive level of fear amongst ourselves for really not a whole lot of reason. Yeah. Because we talk about all these other federally illegal, exactly the same drugs, but we don't think like, oh my God, why are you talking about heroin? Right. We're mandated to talk about heroin. You know that I, I also am interested in the cannabis space. That's one of the reasons why we've um, gotten closer. Um, and for me, as a cancer surgeon, I always had... Even, you know, I've been here for two, 20 years now, practically. Um, every patient, especially like the old grandma who had cancer pain or something, same kind of thing, would always say to me, Doc, what do you think about, should I try some marijuana? My answer to them was always, yeah, I think it'll help you. And then they'd be like, okay, so what do I do now? And I'd be like, talk to your son or your grandson and get some from them, you right. know? So, right. so there was a real be, need. There's a real need. Yeah. And you talk with, But I didn't have the courage and the guts to do what you did. But I think I think the goal now is to, uh, you know, to invigorate our physicians and invigorate our medical staff to mm -hmm. have that courage or gusto. Right. And in fact, I write a column for Emergency Medicine News. Mm -hmm. So this is a reputable emergency medicine journal that comes out monthly online and quarterly on paper and mm -hmm. get sent out to ER doctors and I had a real gripe with them talking only about cannabis hyperemesis syndrome and only talking about 
you know, cannabis overuse mm-hmm. syndrome. And I said, you know what that would be akin to is every single article talking about opiates only talking about opioid mortality right. and talking about opioid-induced constipation and never actually addressing what it's being used to treat because mm-hmm. we use opiates a lot and it has yeah. a good value, right? So it has a great value. It has value. a great value yeah. in patients and post-operative pain has yeah. a great value. I but think actually we're under Use, using them now, believe it or not. Uh, oh, I, I yeah, think we're we under have, treating patients right, right now. The pendulum has swung in the exact yeah. opposite direction. We're like telling them, tough it out. Tough, right. And right? people don't like it. Imagine yeah. that. I know. <laughs> exactly. But we should talk about, so you started the Real Leaf Institute. Right. So I started the Relief Institute. Relief, relief Institute. I said it separate words. Relief? It's all one word, but I said it. It's R-E- spelled L-E-A-F. L-E-A-F. Like a leaf. Like a yeah. leaf on the tree. Oh, yes. Exactly. Working on both pain relief mm-hmm. and... Of course, the leaf on a tree, or in this case, the leaf of a flower. Right. Or the leaf of a, a weed, because right. it's technically a weed. Which is where the, that's why it's called weed. That's why it's called weed. So, so what, relief what are you has doing two now? aspects. Yeah. So, one aspect of relief is clinical treatment of patients. So, we use only cannabis based medicine out of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, the, their regular medical prescriptions should still go through their primary care doctor's office so that mm-hmm. we don't disrupt care, because the goal is to encourage you know i'm all about encouraging physician patient relationship and i want to make that stronger because mm-hmm. we're really in this really weird state where social media has completely devalued the physician in my opinion yeah has created the physician as being the the negative point not the healthcare industry yeah it's a whole other problem um and we're seeing nurse practitioners and pas now in different states take over the role of a physician, yeah. which, again, we can get into later. Yeah. But um, So I really want to value that relationship and not disrupt it. So it's, it, this is designed to be an adjunct to physician-patient relationships. And then part two of it is actually physician education so that you don't have to be stuck, you know, not knowing what to say when your 90-year-old grandma says, you know, what should I use when they come in for post-operative Well, now what I do is I say, Call Dr. Sherry Afai, and we give her number, and uh, right, yeah, you've treated right. a few of my patients. So, so one of your patients um, has come in for insomnia purposes, mm-hmm. so Ambien mm-hmm. is actually a big issue right now. Ambien, right. Lunesta, um, they're called hypnosedatives mm-hmm. in the medical world, and they are, should we go back to the words now, they are tasteless and smellless, and they are pill forms. Right. So, so they, and they literally will zonk you out. So, to get back to why, um, so we had a recent article a couple, I think six, eight months ago, where we, uh, there was a discussion about all of these hypnosedatives being bad for your brain, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, having these really bad side effects. Do you remember the Roseanne Barr quote that came out of Ambien, or that was related to No, Ambien? I do mm-hmm. not remember the Roseanne Barr. So, Wait, there we go, pop we go. culture, Here's there we go, go. see? <laughs> and you didn't even watch any shows, I, but you get brought us Roseanne Barr, okay. So Roseanne Barr, and this is why she got fired from her own TV show, right? The what it was her yeah. Roseanne Barr. Yeah, the Roseanne Barr show. Right. Thing. Yeah. So she got fired because she tweeted out that uh, a very racist text, oh. and then afterwards she texted or she tweeted. Um, you know, oh, I didn't really say that. It was the Ambien that made me do it. Ah. Uh. Uh, and so. Ambien came out and says that we don't cause racist feeling, right? <laughs> oh, she got, I remember got fired that from her. Yeah. She got fired from her show for it. Interesting. And so all because of Ambien. All because of Ambien. There you go. So all of these medications, you it's very well known that you may sleep drive, you may right. sleep walk, oh, right, right, right. sleep eat. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then ultimately you're actually addicted, by yeah. the way. Right. 
which right. they, they didn't talk about right. it. Right, people who need, right, they can't sleep without it. Not only can they I not know. sleep, they will be, some of my patients have diarrhea withdrawals, some patients have mm. um, a little I love diarrhea. anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. Gotta go, we gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so taking patients off of Ambien, and mm -hmm. you gotta, I would, you know, I would say we have to replace something with it because you can't kick it off cold turkey. Um, some people like to say, well, are you replacing one drug with another? Yes. That's mm -hmm. in general how medicine works. Right. We do use other medications to wean people off. The goal is to use something that's less addictive mm -hmm. with less abuse potentials. And also, by the way, something that you can stop much more easily. But only less harmful and less overall. Harmful. And with, less harmful. With less side effects. Exactly. Like I love the way we talked about it before, I think, um, alcohol is recommended to have a glass of wine, red wine at night. And that's the hugest that? scam. That's the, the hugest scam. Yeah, that's that's the mm. alcohol industry being super powerful and marketing that we should all drink. A hundred percent. And then right? having it on every T V show and every commercial. Right. Mom is unwinding with a glass of wine, a young lady or a young man at social hour, happy hour, you know, it's like the right. it's in every T V show too. Every that's show. How, and yeah. you know what that's called? The, those people? They're called alcoholics, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and yet it's okay, and we wouldn't call them an alcoholic. I have to I say it kind of works in TV opinions. shows, though, because someone's like, oh, I kind of want to drink now. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh -huh. And you like, think about, like, well, how would I unwind? I would mm -hmm. pour myself a nice glass of rosé. Rosé had a really big moment. Yeah. Everything yeah. was rosé. So it's so weird, and I'm going to give you another pop quiz. So yeah. what is the only medical indication? I hate pop quizzes. <laughs> pop quiz. We're going to pop quizzes. Okay, pop quiz. Pop quizzes. Yeah. What is the only oh, medical Oh, pop quizzes I like. <laughs> <laughs> what is the only medical indication for alcohol? There's only one. We're bad at pop quizzes and pop quizzes. I don't know. I probably do know. So as soon as you alcohol tell me, withdrawal. I'm going Right. It is the only indication for alcohol. Is alcohol withdrawal. No, there are other indications. Cleaning the skin before a procedure. Right, oh, but that's, that's different. But that's not ingested. That was a joke. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you yeah. got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, we right. have so many indications for cannabis. Right. And so it becomes this, you know, people like to peg it into alcohol and nicotine, but there is, it's so vastly different from alcohol and nicotine that have zero medical indications, right? Yeah. Real medical indications. So, so how do you combat people who say... Um, that there aren't really great studies or real good data about cannabis. Yeah. I would actually say, have you looked up pub, anything in PubMed? Yeah. And so PubMed is our, you know, is our like wiki, what is it? Not wiki. Um, we, Wikipedia? Wikipedia. Yeah. Right? Like Weedopedia? Weedopedia. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would be, I think there is a Weedopedia. Is there really? I don't know. I'm sure Probably. there is. Yeah. There is hollyweed.com. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you look up, you know, if you look up THC, cannabis, marijuana, CBD on PubMed, there are tons of studies. Randomized, controlled, so, double-blinded, so all that stuff? So here's where the problem comes. Right. Okay. So it's really interesting. I met somebody um, who was involved in a study out of UCLA in the 1970s, mm -hmm. 60s, 70s, and you know he he would t he told me about how they would do studies, and it was really funny. He's like, we had a couple of us who they housed at the NPI center in at UCLA when it was a really small neuropsychiatric institute, 
back to your neuropsychiatry. Yeah, right. You bring it all back home. Bring it all back home. Okay. And he's like, you know, they would give us something to smoke, and one person wouldn't get, you know, wouldn't, one person would get a placebo, and I got the actual pot. Right. And he's like, and of course you knew what we were getting. Right. There's no he's randomization. Like, no, but he, he's like, no, it was a double-blinded placebo study, but he... Yeah, but you knew if you were getting the pot. Right. Exactly. Right. So he, he was really funny. He's like, so we felt bad for the guy who wasn't getting it, so we'd sneak some to him anyway. Right. So you would get the study, because but he's like they they didn't actually end up printing a lot of these studies. Mm. Why? Because they weren't having the negative outcomes that they were designed for. And oh, they, they were designed for negative oh, outcomes. They were designed for yeah. negative outcomes. Uh, and this is this blew my mind. Yeah. Because really, in medicine, we're so trained to believe and and think that you know everything is done for the good of mankind and for the good of the patient and you know studies that have good value are, are, are given grants and they will be published but that's not reality right and uh, you've been in medicine now for 20 years you More. see that money talks yeah you know that things that are designed for a certain outcome in a certain way are going to get published right and it's not even just money talks it's people who are writing papers are writing papers for their benefit Correct. to prove their point. Correct. They're going to figure out a way to prove their point. Absolutely. I and tell everybody gonna, that. They're gonna, they yeah. can potentially change statistical yeah. analysis for it. They're going to change the population they're doing yeah. it on. And they're going to create it to get the outcomes they want. So, yeah. so then you start talking to people who are actually involved in these studies. I had another patient, and this is, this is crazy. She was one of the professors who did these studies. Oh, wow. And she made me laugh so hard. She's like, do you know we would go to LAX you know, and get, you know, a box of marijuana because it had to come from Ole Miss in a super right. secretive box, you know, labeled and this and that. And you had to, like, meet the people right then and there when they were dropping off the box and take it back to your lab under lock and key. She's like, this one day, and, you know, we were very hypervigilant about it and because this was a Schedule One controlled substance. And one time I missed the drop-off. And so I, drop off. I, the, right, yep. I missed the drop-off from LAX, and so I had to go and claim you know, my Schedule One illegal drug from LAX. She's like, and so they directed her to Lost and Found. And the security guard at Lost and Found said, wow, you're the first person who's ever come back to claim their pot. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. and she opens, and they open up a closet that's full of weed. Oh, like, my God. Really full of weed, and she's the first person to come wow. back to claim her weed that's left over at LAX. Oh so you God. just hit upon so, an interest. Did I let you finish no, the story? Ahead, yeah. Which is up till... Even now, I think, in order to do a legal study on marijuana, you had to get it from one single institution grown at one single place in the country. Like, if you were trying to do a real study, government approved, oh. there's only one place in the country where you could get the marijuana from, even though there's marijuana everywhere. Mm -hmm. You had to use their, what state is it? Ole Miss, Ole Mississippi. Mississippi. You had to use the Mississippi pot that's a that's very different from all the other pots right. to do the study. Right. And so it would be And like, it's still the case, right? It, well, they're starting to right. open up the, the biggest advantage of January twenty nineteen mm -hmm. has been that they legalized hemp and mm -hmm. all hemp products. Mm -hmm. right. And didn't create any rules or regulations or create any 
you know, standardizations or requirements of anybody in the hemp CBD world. They so legalized hemp recreationally or medicinally? They didn't, they ignored the medical aspect. Right, they so they it. just, they just legalized hemp. Right. And so we know that CBD can be produced from hemp. Right. And so. But THC supposedly is not at all produced from technically hemp. Technically speaking. Maybe teeny itsy bitsy amounts. Less than 0.3% of THC. Just so you know, did you know that? No, I didn't know So that. hemp and, and regular Canada. well they're both marijuana. right so, marijuana and hemp are the same family correct you, you're the expert oh, i have a you. documentary on yeah, amazon i, I look oh, forward yeah. to thank you you're thank welcome you. which uh people can just google it's cannabis and your doctor and it explains everything it's yeah it's amazon 30 minutes Prime. yeah i saw it on amazon and it explains Prime. exactly what you're doing and i thought you made a really good point where you were like you know People will have cancer, and their doctor will say, you know, you, you can try marijuana, but they won't know what to do. And then they go to, like, a bud tender. Right. And the bud, bud tender's like, oh, my, you know, like, we'll say whatever, like, oh, my cousin likes this one. That's not good medical. It's not medical advice, obviously. But so they can come to you and actually, like, you can look at what they're already taking. Like That's right. So a lot of times people will come in and literally, like, vomit up the number of different things the bud tender told them to take. Mm -hmm. So they'll be like, you know, a chocolate here and a toffee candy here and a tea here and um, a couple tinctures there. And they'll be like, well, I tried them all and I don't know which one's working or how it's working or if it's working. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a little bit... And they're a salesperson, right, essentially. A salesperson. As a medical provider, mm -hmm. you always, always ask, what's your diagnosis? Right. Always. That's your mm -hmm. starting point. Or you point. figure out the diagnosis. Or you figure out, right. right. Or you evaluate to figure out what your diagnosis right. is. Right. Because if you don't have a diagnosis, you're shooting, you know, you're right. shooting random mm -hmm. right. arrows, right? And so if the bud tender is not allowed and shouldn't be, right, asking right. your diagnosis and giving you medication based on that, so they're just telling you what feels good to them or what mm -hmm. they like or what tastes That's what they're good. doing, yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah. So as a medical provider, we want to say, you know, if if you have this diagnosis, you should be really using a hemp CBD you know, basis. You should really be using a cannabis ratio with um, a high amount of THC because that's more indicated for neuropathic pain. Right. So because we have studies, going back to do we have studies, we have studies coming out of UC San Diego, a handful in fact, that um, have evaluated double-blind placebo using certain amount of THC in neuropathic pain patients that THC is beneficial, so much so that the Medical Board of California changed their recommendations on the use of cannabis, specifically THC, for neuropathic pain versus pharmaceuticals like gabapentin. So you can recommend cannabis THC equal footing to gabapentin for neuropathic pain and have good medical data behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's an easy way, but if you walk into the store and say, I've got pain. Is it chronic pain? Is it cancer right. pain? Is it postoperative pain? Right? right. And as in medicine, I have so many questions based on what you're saying. Yeah, in medicine, we don't go like it hurts, so give me something. Right. We say, what does it hurt? Why does right. it hurt? Right. Do I need to do, you know, do I need to do uh, an evaluation because you have a tumor that you don't know about? I had a patient for three to four months was getting evaluated while we were treating his pain, his abdominal pain, mind you. He had gotten CT scans, MRIs, steroid treatments. Ended up, he had a glioblastoma, which is a brain tumor. Mm. And that was what was causing his wow. almost like phantom-like abdominal Wow. And so the point is, is if you walk into wow. a dispensary and you're just treating pain because you've got pain and mm. you heard it's good for pain, what are we missing? Oh, right. that's a good right? point. I didn't think about that. So just to talk about quickly, uh, for most of our listeners probably do, so what part of cannabis causes the... 
high? Good what part causes the feel-good stuff? How do you decide? Do you get only the high stuff or some of the feel-good stuff, or do you mix them? In, a, in other words, THC, CBD. Right. So THC tetrahydrocannabinol. That is what we. That is what's classically known as what gets you high or what the makes THC. you feel good. Yeah. Is the THC. This comes in a wide variation. So if you're talking about smokes, you can get six percent, which is what they used to have in the sixties and seventies. Right. Mom. Right. And now most of the time you can't get lower than ten to twelve percent, with the average being closer to about twenty and the high being about twenty-eight percent. Now that's just in terms of flour. When you get into these vape oils, which I'm honestly, there's really very few indications for those, but the vape oils can get you up to 90% THC. And what's CBD? What's and the CBD? And then CBD. So cannabidiol is the other part, or the you know the yin to the yang mm -hmm. of the plant, and that's mostly found in hemp. Mm -hmm. Some of the plants in cannabis have been now um, engineered to create more CBD in the plants. Mm -hmm. And that is the part that doesn't get you high. That's the part that now is most well known for treating severe epilepsy. Which part, which part is the appetite part? THC, THC or CBD? Which part is the generalized feeling good part? THC. Which part is the anti-cancer part? Some people are wondering, right. is there so some anti-cancer? So right now we've got studies just beginning to surface on glioblastoma multiforme, mm -hmm. so a very specific type of brain tumor, yeah. and breast cancer mm -hmm. are the two biggest ones that we've started to see studies on, and they're seeing both CBD and THC being beneficial. Mm -hmm. So we, we haven't teased it out quite yet, right. but the other thing that's now starting to surface is immunotherapy. So we are seeing potential problems with cannabis use and immunotherapy. Mm. And so we're not sure if we should or should not be using it with patients with immunotherapy. Interesting. Which one is for sleep? THC. So THC is for everything. So why then why then is everybody why so is C B D such a big thing now? Why anxiety? are people doing C B D teas and C B D this and C B D that? C B D cream, C B D ointment, C B D gels for my aches and my pain. Right. So C B D number one is Bupkis or is it? It's real? not. It's, okay. there's a lot that C B D can do, right. but the best part about C B D is it yeah. makes people not feel high. And mm -hmm. overwhelmingly the biggest you know, number of people they don't necessarily want to get high. Right. You know, they well, they want to be able to go about their right. day and not deal with their arthritic pain. So right. I have one 86-year-old who I've been treating really well, actually, because she was waking up, oh, about 10 times at night because she'd roll over in her sleep and it would hurt her arthritic joints and it would make her wake up at night. So CBD is thought to be good for pain? So CBD can be specific, very specific types of pain. So arthritic pains, it seems to be very helpful. Okay. And in fact, UCLA just got a grant to do an arthritis study with CBD. Wow. So the other big hype around CBD is January 2019. It's legal everywhere. Right. It's legal everywhere. Yeah. Anyone can make it and make right. any sorts of claims they want. Right. It doesn't mean that they don't have good value. Mm -hmm. It just means that our, you know, our advertising social media voice is much louder than our medical voice. Right. Does... Do most CBD products have some THC in them, or they're really just pure CBD, or you're not sure? Most have that less than 0.3% right. THC. Isn't it felt, though, that the real benefits, without getting crazy into it, is a mixture of some ratio? 
So for a lot of patients, they're going to find benefit from A ratio. The problem is, is that CBD in and of itself is, is more accessible. Right. Ratio meds get hard. Mm-hmm. They're, and they're hard for people to dose. Right. They're hard for people to understand. Because right. it's like doing hydrocodone or Percocet versus right. using just Oxy or just um, right. Cody. Right. Because so, hydrocodone and Percocet have Tylenol. And the coding. Right, because right. then you now have to educate people, oh, you can't take Tylenol right. on top of taking Percocet. Right. Or Vicodin. Or just or more Tylenol. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because it's just more Tylenol. But now it requires a lot more in-depth counseling. Right. But that's what works better. For some. So for some indications, right? right? So we go back to what's the indication. Right. So for... So let me back up. So when patients come to you, you started saying, and they tell you, oh, I've tried this, I've tried that. Do you say, like, how, yeah. what do you tell them? Like, how do you know that what they're going to buy is going to be the same thing over and over again? Great question. So here in California, yeah. the best part about recreational legalization was the mandated rules of testing. And so testing actually became, you know, you would think when something's medical, you'd have better testing than when it's recreational. Right. But guess what? It took a lot of the, you know, the black curtains away and it opened up a lot of doors and channels to say, hey, if more people are going to be using this, we need to be testing this better. Right. And we need to have more accuracy in this world. So now here in California, we've got much better standards than we ever had before. Mm -hmm. We're shutting down more illegal shops, Mm -hmm. which has its own cost benefit and taxation. I'm not going to get into that. But the best part has really been putting in better rules and mandating better testing. So you're saying so, that when someone goes to buy a certain thing, every time that store and another store has the name of that thing, it's really gonna pretty much be the same thing. Right, within about a five to 10% margin of error, right. which is roughly what we give pharmaceutical companies. Right. So within a margin of error. And then what about, how, what about like when someone buy, goes to buy an edible, like candy, how do you know in a, if someone buys a chocolate bar and they mix the bar, how do you know that the THC CBD isn't going to just be in one corner of right. the bar? So first of all, I tell everyone the same thing. Yeah. Edibles are for professional cannabis users and for your physician only. It's The, the idea is, is that a novice user, somebody who's never used you know, cannabis, medical marijuana, pop products mm-hmm. in general, don't start with an edible because your goal is not to get high two hours from now. Right. Your goal is to get high or to get, you know, feeling Relief. relaxed yeah. right now. So mm-hmm. if that's your goal, use something that will affect you right now and mm-hmm. not affect you in two hours. Okay. And because most people who are using this and landing in the emergency department are people who are using edibles because they just don't know what they're doing. Wait, so why are people landing in the emergency department? Great question. So Thank you. We I have... only ask great questions. <laughs> So we have a handful of older adults who, let's say, over 60. That's young. I know. I, right? I agree. Come on. But they have adult children. There. They have adult children. That's right. really the key. Uh-huh. Anybody who has an adult child who bought a candy bar or right. a Rice Krispies treat or bought a set of mints right. that it, took it out of its wrapper and left it lying around, and then what ends up happening is mom or dad takes a bite oh. of that cookie, mm-hmm. that brownie, that Rice Krispies treat, and thought it was delicious, so they ate the whole thing. Right. <gasps> oh, wow. These That's a huge edibles dose. are, to give people perspective, it's a month's worth of medication mm-hmm. for some. Mm-hmm. Okay, so would, imagine if you took a month's worth of any mm-hmm. pill, right, any pill bottle, and you just slammed it. It yeah. would be the same thing, right? right? Except that this is not lethal. Right. Okay, That's the biggest advantage, bar none, right. it's not lethal. Right. 
Um, so they take a whole bar and then two hours later, or an hour and a half later, all of a sudden they feel dizzy, they feel woozy, they feel confused, they feel like the world is spinning around them. They vomit. I'm sure. If, yeah, if they, they took a whole miserable. candy bar, like, yeah. I can't imagine. They, they must think they're dying. Their heart rate goes up. Their blood pressure can drop. And they feel panicked. They feel like they're going to die. And so they call 911. They land in the ER. And what ends up happening for, again, the reason I, sp- I speak about adults over 60 specifically is because some of these symptoms mimic a cerebellar stroke. Mm. And when the ER and the patient doesn't know if they took anything... Mm. They have mm. to err on the side of caution. Now they do a $20,000 stroke workup. Mm. They activate the stroke code. They you know, go through all these processes. And guess what? Here at Cedars, we've had a couple patients who get TPA or you know, life-saving blood thinners because they think they're having a cerebellar stroke. Mm. No joke, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we know that this is a really potentially detrimental medication to right. that. And then they find out, wait, they took an edible. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you my experience with this was a, a Persian man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm Persian myself. So you can't see me over a podcast. So a Persian man who landed in RER at St. John's. This was probably a few years ago now. And he mimicked the signs of a stroke, cerebellar stroke. He was dizzy, vertiginous, nauseated, and was not having some difficulty with word finding. That's right. the other issue. Yeah. Right? And so we run the stroke code. Um, his wife alerts his adult mm-hmm. sons that he's having a stroke mm-hmm. and the adult son shows up to the ER and as I'm talking with the telestroke doctor, the neurologist, should we or should we not give this patient TPA? And I just felt uneasy because there wasn't, there, it was missing that certain gusto, right? Our medicine is an art, yeah. not a perfect science. It yeah. was missing, he was missing something and didn't fit into the mm-hmm. multiple cerebellar strokes I had seen before. And as we're discussing it, the adult son comes in and says, Dad, what happened to that Rice Krispies treat that I left in the oh front seat, the passenger seat of my car? You borrowed my car earlier. He's like, I ate it. He goes, it was laced with pot. Right? Right. It was a cannabis product. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I hear laughter erupting from our trauma bay where this patient is mm-hmm. sitting. And I walk in, and they're like, oh, doc, I'm fine. Right. I'm going to go get some Persian food. Right. We, we, like, you know, in seconds, we disconnect yeah. everything mm-hmm. and can avoid giving the yeah. patient TPA and having right. hospitalized. Has anyone ever tried to test to see is there a lethal dose of cannabis? Yes. They have? So I think it's something like 10,000 Well, there is a lethal dose, though. We've never seen it in humans. Uh-huh. I believe they did it in a rat study, right. and it's 10,000 times per per kilo. Wow. Mm-hmm. Why are institutions so behind on studying this stuff? So behind. So behind. But it's nice, though, like on your website, the Real Leaf in- Relief Institute. Yes. com. you have a lot of those studies. That's right. And you even so have I ones that are like the negative, you know, effects. Yeah, because we, yeah, listen, I always tell people, I go, I'm not a pusher. This is right, not right, my, right. this is not my drug. I'm not making money off of this. So right. you use it, you don't use it. I don't make any money off of it. The only thing I make money off of is giving good medical advice. That's it. That's 100% of what I do. So if it has a bad outcome for something like immunotherapy with mm-hmm. cancer, 
for example, using it for organ transplants, THC's contra, or, sorry, THC's indicated, CBD is contraindicated. Why? Why? Because it, it affects tacrolimus levels. Mm. So we, okay. so it's really and it's really important right now. Tacrolimus is a uh, anti-rejection right. drug. Yeah. So it's really important to actually start talking about each chemical independently. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. it's like bulking twin sisters or twin brothers together and saying it's the same person. Nope, you got. Some twins have different personalities. You gotta you got a whole start. bunch of analogies. It's good. The twins, yeah. nice. so the yin uh-huh. and the yang. Right. We gotta start attributing things to THC in isolation and to CBT in isolation and to combinations in isolation. So mm. we can't say all A or all B anymore. It can't just be cannabis, pot, hemp. It has to really be specific to THC and CBD. So coming back to mm. the pros and cons. You know, we're starting to see studies now in the dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, neurodegenerative world that says, hey, THC might actually be helpful. And guess what? Maybe, just maybe, it's potentially regenerative in old brains. Not new ones, not young ones. And guess what? There's a difference between young brains and old brains. Like, Why do we have to lump 20 and over all together? Why do I have to have the same brain as my... 95 year old grandma yeah that's don't old, yeah. have the same brain yeah right so when you started your practice how many days a week were you doing it one and a half two uh-huh and now and how many patients were you seeing a day back when you started back when i started i was seeing maybe you know five a month right and now, was, and now six five years later four years later four days a week full clinic days and how many patients you see a day so i'll see a new patient will take an hour uh-huh. and a follow-up patient will take 30 minutes right and people are sometimes you know baffled as to what takes an hour with cannabis and it's really important to and how often do you see follow-ups or how often do you t- talk to follow-up patients? follow-ups get it's really i say kind of like a psychiatrist so really at the beginning you want to see them more closely because mm-hmm. they want to titrate their medication right and then as they do well you see them further and further apart or as they don't respond to it mm-hmm. i say yeah. don't stick to it if you're not doing well with it right what, you know, why? what percentage of patients don't either don't like it or or don't respond to it about 20 percent don't like it right just for yeah, yeah, yeah. one reason or another right you know we're seeing about 60 to 70 percent respond mm-hmm. some, did, some response yeah and we're right. seeing a good you know so depends on what the problem was so with neuropathic facial pain for example we're seeing a really good response mm. um in in a, in a world where people say trigeminal neuralgia and post-repetitive neuralgia of the face are you know the silent suicide case those are horrible they're horrible. Yeah. And so we can use a THC-based medication. Wow. I had one patient who was hospitalized here at Cedars for a mm-hmm. week and a half using mm-hmm. IV narcotics and had still poor pain relief and mm. was miserable. And within a week, she was back to normal. Wow. So, I mean, those are yeah. the responses right. that you say, why not? You know, if I get that even for one out of every four. Right. Which I'm not. I'm getting much more than that. But why not treat those Why patients? not try? Right. And so part of this whole, the whole reason I started this EM news kind of discussion, mm-hmm. or the column, it's called The Case for Cannabis. Mm-hmm. And the whole discussion point is, is how do you not know what you're talking to your patients about? Yeah. Like, how is it that the conversation stops at I smoke pot? Like, that's the end of the conversation for 99% of yeah. physicians. Yeah, right, yeah. Because we've never been educated on it. We've never talked about it. But not only that, up till recently, people wouldn't even talk about, admit that they admit were using it. some form of pot. It's that's only right. recent that, that people are willing to Oh, patients to are willing that. to even yeah. say it. Yeah. Because it's been legalized. Correct, and they don't feel like they're going to get yeah. penalized. I think another problem 
why the cannabis industry has taken so long to to come around and I think why people were reluctant is because the names of these products right. it's not like I'm having a Merlot which right. sounds fancy you know or it's I'm having Kush or Snoop Doggy thing right. like how could that be okay right when right. Cheech and Chong right. are your are your the two people you think of first right. when you think right. of this it's not it's not a but like you said, we're starting to change our outlook. So do you think in like five years, like more doctors like will be able to actually talk to their patients about this openly? Oh, yeah, hands down. I think that not only the tide is turning, but the federal tide is turning, and it's only a matter of time. We have 33 states that have medically legal cannabis mm-hmm. rules, and 11 states plus Washington, D.C. that has... Um, recreational right mm-hmm. so it's and every year every election it's like changing again it, that ticker quick um, turns very fast right? mm-hmm. so where do you dr sherry if i see yourself with this in say five years i think you're just going to be in higher and higher demand i don't think you have time to work at the er <laughs> right. right so in five years from now so i've already dropped uh, quite a bit of my er practice okay. i'm already down to just a couple days a month doing er okay um we're seeing uh, um a little bit of movement into the dementia alzheimer's like i mentioned parkinson's multiple sclerosis so the neurocognitive disorders and i call it the silver tsunami so we know that there's a huge rise in the number of older patients Uh and and if if that continues to blossom the way we're seeing it we're hopefully going to bring this into a formal clinical setting with your local neurosurgeon and neurologist and brain health guru talking about not just you know hard and fast pharmacy or pharmaceutical medications but how cannabis can play into that okay. and how we can adjust your medications and then the second part of that if if i can really expand is oncology so those are really two of the, the largest demand because the patients are using it okay. they're discussing they're bringing it to us and we're just starting to respond. We're, we're, we're very slacker. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just starting, but hopefully this will be intricately involved in either your neurologic disorders or your oncologic disorders, and your local doctors will be talking about it. Right. Do you see the Relief Institute being countrywide, like there being a Relief yeah. Institute in every city? Yeah, I think that every major hospital who has either an oncology department or who has a neuroscience department, a neurology department, mm-hmm. a psychiatric department should absolutely have a Relief Institute-based set of guidelines mm-hmm. so if we can streamline a lot of this for, for physicians and say, you know, we're going to have better medicine available to you and you can recommend this on a very easy, fast-track basis where you can check off a box and have patients pick it up at the local pharmacy or the local dispensary in a medical track. Mm-hmm. So we have a medical track created for you. What's going to happen when the government, when the federal government legalizes this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to become harder to actually get? Will it be like now you have to get a prescription? Right. You know, is it going to make right. things worse possibly? So hear me out. Anybody in policy, legal making, yeah. decision making factors, policymakers, we need to understand that there is a certain amount that should be allotted for recreational use. Right. And then there is a certain amount more of which should be allotted for medical use. It doesn't preclude one from the other. You right. can't you don't have to take away from 
but uh, rob Peter to pay Paul. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? We mm-hmm. don't have to mm-hmm. rob one another. Ibuprofen is a great example. Ibuprofen is available over the counter at 200 milligrams. Right. Guess what? Is there a prescription strength? 800. That's right. Yeah. Six, anything above 600 is prescription strength. Right. So you can get, and then you can get it covered by insurance, mm. and you can go to a doctor and get mm. it, right? And there's indications for it. So we should be using that really as what the differences are. Gotcha. Right? So below a certain level, sure. You know, below a level that will be intoxicating to the point where it's 99% THC, that shouldn't be recreationally available. So they may... So it may hurt the recreational people then? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't because I think at the end of the day, the recreational market is hurting itself. Right. Because you really don't need 90% THC for any way, shape, or form to right. get high. Right. You really don't. But chronic smokers do build up a tolerance. They do, but in the 60s and 70s, they also built up a tolerance. Very right? true. Yeah. So in the 60s mm-hmm. is a perfect example. It wasn't, you know, being withheld there. And right. they were using 6 to 7 to 8%. Getting really good stuff was 9% THC back in right. the day. And that did everybody just fine. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, hash was kind of the, like, if you can get hash, mm-hmm. which was probably closer to, like, 15 20%. Right. So you're, THC. THC. Mm-hmm. So you're not looking at, oh, my God, we're taking something away from the recreational user. Right. I think, in fact, what we're doing is saying, hey... You may need a medical evaluation if you really need 90% THC. Right. Shouldn't that be a safety net for our patients? Right. Don't you need a medical evaluation? At some point, we have to be saying, if you're using nightly and you're in your 30s and 40s, don't you need to talk to a therapist? Don't you need to talk to somebody because well, there's something going on? Well, then right? we have to tell all the alcoholics, too. We, we sure do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, which is, please tell all Which the is most Americans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other final? No, this is very informative. Um, do you have any like upcoming conferences or anything? Good here? question. So I'll give you a couple of um, quick plugs. People always ask, where can I get reliable yeah. information from? Where can I look things up? So as you noted, www.thereliefinstitute, R-E-L-E-A-F, uh, institute.com. Uh-huh. I have a section of research on there. I try to update it. I also have a section of in the media, so where you'll see this podcast podcast posted. And then upcoming events where I'll be speaking at, as well as conferences. There's a conference section, so hopefully in the fall you'll be seeing another conference. Last fall in October we held a four or five hour CME course. That's okay. No, yeah. it's good hopefully that it's we'll in the, it it's in the fall. Do so you, hopefully um, the coronavirus will be gone by then. Do you do your own stuff, or you have someone helping you now? So now um, I'm hoping. So that's the segue into the third part. So SCC Society of Cannabis Clinicians. I sit as the co-vice president of the board, hey. and that is a society who are the other, of physicians. Who's the other vice president? J- Dr. Janester Wilson King, who is an OBGYN based out of Florida, uh-huh. where she has she actually has an excellent talk about cannabis and pregnancy. Mm. Um, I did a little article on that on the last um, emergency medicine. Who's news. the president? The president is Dr. Stephen Robinson, and he's based out, he's bicoastal, he's in um, San Francisco and New York. Gotcha. And so this group is filled with wonderful, wonderful, wonderful cannabis clinicians who've been doing this for a long time, and they've, they're a great resource. Florida's well, way ahead of us. Florida? Eh, kind of. Kind yeah. of yes, kind of no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and New York also kind of yes, kind of right. no. Colorado's probably the only one who comes even close. Right. Um, and Oregon, I think. So, but, but they have a great, they just recently updated their website, cannabisclinicians.org, okay. and they've got a research page as well, and it's 
even more and it's even more and more literature specifically according to diagnoses okay so they are also a really great group to reach out to if you have questions about hey is there a local doctor near me that's what i was wondering can they like look up doctors yeah, on that site okay so you could there's a find a physician page where you can find a local doc who's well educated and has gotten their cmes and continuing medical Very education interesting. in cannabis based medicine so you can find so it does seem like more residents will start learning about this as like i've had a couple pain management fellows from anesthesia from ucla come rotate with me Mm. and one who recently reached out and he wants to incorporate this now in his medical practice wow so we're gonna start seeing Mm -hmm. it popping through are you doing any telehealth I do do telehealth, uh-huh. so you can call in. It's mostly calls. We'll do video conferencing if you want it, but it, the prerequisite to coming to my office is a predefined diagnosis by a physician. So this is really important, especially when we get into pediatrics mm-hmm. and patients with unspitten, you know, chronic pain issues. So we want you to have gotten your appropriate screening evaluations, your appropriate blood work, imaging, CTs, MRIs, what you need, so that we can really focus in on just the the medication management of things. Um, And then I was going to tell you about one more thing. So with SCC, hopefully the next conference we'll do either in conjunction with the Cannabis Clinician Group to provide a bigger, broader scope of um, information and to provide, you know, what we're doing in hospice care, Mm. Right, because hospice and um, the skilled nursing facilities is another kind yeah. of next level avenue for patients who have really, you know, end of life care, mm-hmm. who need better pain management. And you don't want to be drugged with morphine all day. And yeah. right. you want to be able to talk to mom before she mm-hmm. dies. And, and a lot of times we're not seeing that because they're so doped up with opiates. And so to be able to give them laughter. God forbid our mm-hmm. end-of-life care patients should laugh, mm-hmm. right? That's a, a mm-hmm. negative side effect in THC. You're going to laugh. We really discount laughter in medicine. Yeah. And I really think there is a huge value to laughter and the release of endorphins and to be able to mm-hmm. do it in a whole other way. Yeah. So I'll leave you with that. No, I think, yeah. That was a good way to leave yeah. us. Yeah. I love it. This was amazing, Dr. Sherry Afai. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to come on So informative and helpful. I almost feel like this is only part one or chapter one, and we're going to have to have you back. Yeah, we'll do we'll do another chapter. For sure. Definitely. And you have to go to a conference and then talk about it. We'll bring in plant and and all sorts of tinctures and have you smell. You know, oh, exactly. yeah. Well, that's there good. Go. I like that. Right. You get all the textures. <laughs> and we'll all take the... video. Right, we'll take video. There you go. Be a good time. So thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you Gross Anatomy. very much. We really appreciate well, it. Thanks. Thank you for me. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.